Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Well, welcome to another edition of Word in Your Ear and an astonishing story, the book Soul Survivor, that kicks off when the author is hired as an iCat on the uh, iContina Turner Review at the age of 17, and it never really touches back down again. There's an amazing central section uh, where it looks at uh, swinging London in the mid-60s through an American's eye. It's, it's a fantastic story, and it's by P.P. Arnold. Very nice to see you. Welcome aboard. Hello. Pat, as we should call you. Yeah. yeah. And what am I calling you again? Mark. Well, we're Mark and Dave. That's Mark right. Mark and David. David. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The one, the serious one. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's my role. Oh, yeah. That's my role. <laughs> well, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Hi, so, Pat, how, how long have you been living here in Spain? I think. How long have you been living in Spain? I've been living here for 22 years. I actually came here in uh, 1999. Yeah, I was just just starting uh, working with Roger Waters, and I. Just, oh, right, yeah. Yeah, I came here. I I first came here in 1994 to visit uh, some people, and while I was here, I wrote a song about Celebrania, and the song kind of brought me back. You know, it it uh, people heard I had written this song, and they wanted me to come and see how it could be released, you know, and everything. So I had just uh, got the gig with Roger. And I thought, oh, well, I'd come back and just kind of, yeah, it's always great. I, it, Very you know, nice. The song I said, I, I, you know, celebrating you would always be with me. Yeah, yeah. And came back and, yeah, the, the song sort of, you know, <laughs> fantastic. Manifested. Well, look, the book the book starts in in uh, the Watts neighborhood of uh, Los Angeles. You know, with this extraordinary story, and you've been in various gospel choirs and all sorts of interesting things beforehand. But the extraordinary story at the age of seventeen, as I mentioned, that you're rung up by the Icantina Review to, to be auditioned. So, how did they hear you? Tell us that story. Not by the review. Now, uh, uh, yeah, I, I was born in L.A., in Watts, and I grew up uh, singing, born into a family of gospel singers. So I grew up singing all my life in church and just singing with my uh, all my siblings and my family and, uh, you know, never, never even dreamed of doing it professionally and really hadn't got to that part anyway because... I was in uh, at the age of seventeen. Uh, I was in a an abusive uh, teen domestic uh, marriage. I had two children, so you know the idea of, of of being in show business was like the last thing on my mind. But how had the review heard of you? How did well, they know they about you? I'm getting to that. You have to let me get to it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, so that Sunday morning, I was doing my uh, domestics because as well as having two children, I worked two jobs and I did everything on Sunday on my cleaning. So I said a prayer and I asked God to show me a way out of the situation that I was in and, you know, go back in the house doing my cleaning and I get a call 
from Maxine Smith, who was an ex-girlfriend of my brother's. And Maxine and Gloria Scott, who's also a, a soul singer who you might have heard of because Barry White recorded her after her I Get Days and everything. They call me out of desperation, you know, because Maxine knew that I sang. And the girl that was supposed to go with them to this uh, I Cantina audition, because Gloria Scott, I turned, I had two sets of I Gets. So one set went on the road with them and another set did the Dick Clark show. And Gloria was one of those uh, girls in the, in the Dick Clark show. So she knew that the other girls were leaving. She wanted that gig. She was going to get the gig with Maxine and the other girl let them down. So they called me out of desperation. Uh, I say, you know, I can't go. My husband's not going to let me go anywhere. You know, they go tell him anything. Bam, they hung up the phone. And then an hour later, they were on my doorstep. And an hour after that, I found myself in Icantina's living room, singing, dancing in the streets. So I lied and told my husband I was going shopping. And I went to this audition to help them out. You know, and so I Cantina knew nothing about me. They didn't, you know, they hadn't called me. I just happened to be with them. They liked us. We were like, we were more of like the go-go girls, you know. This is before all the sexy X-rated girls, you know. We were the group, the little group with the go-go boots and 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 that kind of a look, which was all the rage. In uh, that time, so you had to learn a huge number of a huge amount of choreography and a huge amount of songs in a very short time. So, in three days, incredible. So, so anyway, we go, uh, we do the audition. Tina goes, Right, girls, you got the gig. And I say, You you know, I can't go, you know, I'm only here to help them. I'm a big trouble. My husband's gonna, I'm gonna get beat when I get off. You know, I should have been home two two hours ago. So Tina, you know, says, well, if you're going to get beat for nothing, why don't you ride with us and at least see the show? Which was like, you know, there I was with, you know, this goddess woman, this beautiful woman who I really admired. I was under her spell and it, I knew I was going to get in trouble when I went home. So, and I never got a chance to do anything because I hadn't even had an opportunity to be a proper teenager or anything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just sort of became the delinquent wife who went to Fresno, 300 miles out of LA, to see the Argentina Techno Review. So I get back home six o'clock the next morning. I had left home at noon. And my husband's waiting for me, bam, he hits me straight away when I walk in the door. And it was like he knocked some sense into me, really, because I remembered my dream. I remembered my prayer. And I realized that God had answered my prayer. That morning, I didn't have a way out of my situation. And then Tina Turner, later, you know, that I, I met Tina Turner. And she was the one who rescued me. Not only did she change my life yeah. completely, she rescued me from a situation that she wasn't able to 
get away and from it sounds, I mean, it sounded incredibly exciting, the whole thing, but a real tough old life, isn't it? $250 a week, you paid all your expenses. And then you were fined, I think you were fined once $50 for crying on stage. Oh, yeah. You were fined for bump you notes. Fine. You got fined for anything back then. You know, that was the way the band leaders kept their bands together. You know, Ike Turner, uh, James Brown, Otis Redding, all those guys, you know, that, that's how they controlled you. And so controlled the band because everything was like, you know, you were either back then, you were either on it or you weren't, you weren't in it. Yeah. Like there were things like, you know, like you go to a rehearsal today and people, sometimes I have uh, kids that come, come to my rehearsals and they're on their phones or there was there would have been none of that. No, it's not a, no absolutely. <laughs> there would have been none of that. You know, we got fine. I got fine if I had a run in my stocking. Right. <laughs> you got fine. So yeah, Tell I got fine for crying on stage after uh, uh witnessing a horrific uh Ike Turner coming off stage and just beating the shit out of Tina instantly. And uh, it just shook us up. We were getting ready to go on stage. And, you know, all the girls, the Icats and Tina, always before the show, we're getting dressed, we're getting made up, we're laughing, we're doing our thing. And then suddenly something like that happens. For me, it was a very emotional experience. Yeah, understandable. Anyway, because I thought in the beginning that he was this woman who had everything I could tell a perfect life, perfect couple. And it was only after I joined the, the review and I was on the road with them that I had to witness her being treated like that. And for me, I was still quite damaged, very shy, very emotional. So, yeah, that was really difficult being with them. But... The great thing was like being on stage every night. You know, the bandstand was always on fire, you know, because Tina was just like absolutely incredible. Uh, Ike was as well, this amazing band. The Icats, you know, you know, you go on the road yeah. for, for like 90 days, you're working 87 days out of those 90 days. You know, you it, there was no rest. It was the middle of civil rights. So we weren't always able to live in hotels, just any hotel. The only hotel that we could live in was the Holiday Inn. And as you can imagine, off of, you know, only getting paid $250 a week, a lot of times we slept on the bus. And it yeah. wasn't it wasn't like the 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 tour buses that you have today. It's like old raggedy Greyhound buses. Yeah, yeah. Everybody had three seats where you can, you know, sleep if if need be. And yeah, it was like that. It was difficult. For me, it was really difficult because even though my family are from the South, my family are from East Texas, my siblings and I were born in L.A., yeah. So I never had that, you know, one-on-one uh, -on -one relationship with racism yeah. like most people did. All the rest of the people in the band, most of the people in the band are from the South. I heard about those horrific stories 
uh, through my parents and, and, you know, family coming, moving from Texas to LA, mm. I would hear about these things. And so I learned about all of that firsthand by uh, traveling the South in the middle of the whole yeah. civil rights. Well, thing. it's an incredible contrast to the whole period in the uh, mid-60s when you support, you, the Icantina Review support the Rolling Stones on their British tour, which is just amazing. And you said you'd never seen excitement like it since you'd seen Elvis. So describe that reaction to well, the Rolling Stones. I never Stone. saw Elvis live or anything. I never saw no, Elvis you were, you were talking about that. Uh, people were as excited. Yeah, uh, excitement and stuff that, that those kind of uh, artists, rock and roll artists yeah. created. Because you have to uh, understand that the whole rock and roll scene and the whole R&B scene was a totally different scene. So like we worked the chitlin circuit, you know, that were like these, like uh, a, a whole string of black cup clubs and ballrooms. And sometimes we play in barns, you know, <laughs> and things like that. On the, when we got to the East Coast, we would do the East Coast theaters, like the Apollo Theater and, and Uptown Theater in Philly and all those East Coast theaters. But to come off the Chitlin circuit and the first gig in the UK to be the Albert Hall. <laughs> Incredible. No, that was like, <laughs> that was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your, what was your impressions that this is swinging London that you arrive in? What are your impressions of London at that time? It was like, for me, it was incredible because I had, uh, in the two years, nearly two years that I'd been with Icantina, I had managed to leave my husband so I was like suddenly I was like kind of free you know I was dealing with Ike Turner the fear of being around him and dealing with him because he he wanted me to be a part of his concubine and I wasn't having that so I had been after I left my husband I was like uh hanging out with the the trumpet player Gabriel Fleming great guy from the 100, he afterwards played in the 103rd Street Watts Band, you know, all those great horn players from New Orleans and like that. So Gabriel was kind of like protecting me from Ike, but I caught Gabriel with another woman in New York the night before we flew into London. So I quit him. So when I arrived in London, I was free. <laughs> For the first time, I'm like a teenager. I'm 18 years old. We arrive in swinging London. I mean, it was just like swinging in full force. You know, everything was just absolutely amazing. It, it, it was. It was like. Uh, it, it, it was. Uh, uh, integrated, more integrated. Yeah. We were amazed at just the whole scene that uh, English people were really into the music, our music, all the great clubs and everything that we would go to, all the fashion, all the everything, you know, art, everything in London. So it was like 
so exciting. You know, there's an amazing description of you because you spend a lot of time with the Stones and their entourage. And there's an amazing description of going out to, a, I think it's a fish restaurant in Chelsea <laughs> and talking about seeing how everybody's got three or four sets of cutlery. And you're this girl from Watts in Los Angeles and you're looking at this kind of very posh world of Marian Faithful and all these uh, other aristocratic types. And you say you feel very unsophisticated. It's really interesting. So what did you make of, of that kind of, that bohemian world? Well, it was just a, uh, just a totally different world uh, for me, you know, because you got to understand that I grew up in a total segregated environment I didn't hang out with white folks, right, in America. And then yeah. I'm in England, and it's a different, it's a different culture. Yeah. And uh, so I, I didn't finish high school. I wasn't educated in that kind of way. I was intelligent, but I didn't have my degrees, and I hadn't been to university. And and there I was hanging out with with, with Mick Jagger and, and Marianne and they are like surrounded by all the, the young aristocracy, you know, like, and so like you, you have this whole other level of, yeah. of, of, of life that, you know, I, I had no experience of. So like for me to go out for a fish dinner, you know, yeah. You know, we're talking Louisiana catfish and, and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like we go, and it's a different thing. You, you know, I had never sat down to a table that had, you know, 900, you know, knives and forks. <laughs> yeah. And everything. So what I would do was just kind of try to follow the lead, you know, what everybody was doing. So I ordered what Mick ordered. You know, he ordered the Dover Soul. So I just ordered. I had never had Dover Soul and had certainly never eaten fish in that manner where you have to pick the meat off yeah. the bones, uh, very sort of like yeah, yeah. and everything. So I just wrecked my... Well, you, have a, you have a, a love affair, which you write about, uh, uh, with Mick, and he comes out of it really well, actually. You know, he just sort of, lots of dinners and lunches at the flat and walks in the park and everything. But there's a bit yeah. where you travel in the limo after a gig, I think up to Scotland with Mick, and just the limo is being mobbed by fans everywhere you go. Did yeah, you that find that... Crazy. Did you that think at any crazy. point, that's a level of celebrity that I just I just don't want? Or did that, did that seem something... No, could... I didn't think of it like that. I was scared, to be honest, you know, because... We had, uh, I hadn't really, Mick and I became friends. Mick used to make me laugh, right? You know, because, you know, he, he, wanted, he wanted to walk like a black man, talk like a black man, you know, sing. He was yeah. like, yeah, he wanted to know all the, you know, the, the, the Stones would have like uh, the artists that they admired with them. They were the first, uh, well, yeah, I think the Beatles, but the Stones actually had their artists on those tours so that they not only could like connect with the music that they love, that they could connect with the culture of the people that created that movie. So that music, 
So they would sort of laugh at us, you know, because all of our sayings and, you know, a lot of people from the South and the country, and, you know, make loves, all of that, you know. So he would, and then he would come to our dressing rooms and just sort of like barge in the dressing rooms. He wanted to learn the dance steps, you know. So we would be like teaching him how to do the pony and the mash <laughs> and all of that, you know. And so we became friends and, uh, and so after the shows back then, you know, we traveled differently than them. You know, we traveled in the bus and everything. They were traveling in, you know, Daimler limos and stuff like that. But after the gigs, uh, Mick would like invite because Bill was kind of had his eye on Rose. And, uh, and after the shows, whatever cities we were in, they would go to the disco, discotheques afterwards. So we would go to the discotheque. Anyway, we were hanging out. And it was only the first time that I actually sort of became intimate with Mick was on this, uh, uh, the, the show in Glasgow that you speak of. Well, Mick and, Mick and Bill had invited uh, Rose and I to go to Newcastle with them, to travel with them. So we were, uh, before the, they did their runner, we were in the limo waiting for yeah. them to come, you know. And then suddenly the stones come out and they run and everybody's in the car and they're trying to get them from yeah. the fans of rocking. I mean, the car was just, you know, it was frightening. I, 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 I say in the book, I think not, not only was it frightening for me, I think it was frightening for them as well. Yeah. Sometimes those, those kind of, uh, that pandemonium that they created was, was frightening. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, we're, so we're going, we're, we're then, on our way to Newcastle. Okay. First of all, we get past all the, 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 the whole getting away from the theater. And we're driving, and on the way to Newcastle, we go through Gretna Green, right? And so I didn't know anything about Gretna Green or anything, you know, and this is a place where people elope and get married and everything. And somebody, you know, they just started talking about how, yeah, it's okay that you can hang out with, with a black girl, black girls, but you can't really take them home to meet your mother, right? And stuff like that. Well, for me, they were taking the piss, but mm. I didn't know what taking the piss was. You know, like yeah. this is the first time I've been in a limo, in, in a limo yeah. with a, a car full of white guys. So my brain goes back to South, you know, in America, this yeah. would not have happened, you know, unless somebody is like getting ready to take you somewhere in, in the woods and rape you or something, you know. So I get like really up. Yeah, yeah. I get into my protect mode. Uh, the the way I dealt with say like uh in in as growing up, you know, and 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 yeah. not only the abuse from my uh husband, but you know, we got beat when we were kids. You know, that, that, that's the way your father kind of kept you in line. He had six kids, you know. There's, a, there's an incident around there where obviously you're, you're signed up by, by um, Andrew Oldham to join his immediate label and being, being, you know, teed up to be the first lady of immediate. So did they have a clear idea of the, uh, of, of the kind of music that they wanted you to play and how they were going to promote you? 
think Andrew had a, I, I think Andrew was into, he had an idea, the reason that they wanted uh, uh, a girl like me uh, uh, on, his, on his label was because he was really into the American West Coast kind of sound, you know, and Theo Spector and, and the whole kind of team kind of uh, vibe. And so I think I must have been the personification of that for them, you know, and plus I was very shy, even though I was having a great time, you know, it was like I I would get like in that car, I was like frightened, you know, so like, so I go into my vibe, I curse them all out, you know, like, hey, I curse them all out, rolling stones, you know, I don't, you know. Fingers up to the Rolling Stones, you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know who you are, you know. But anyway, you know, I realized afterwards, you know, I, I just got, um, uh, what do you call it? When, when it um, oh, God, I go talking too fast. Anyway, yeah, we get to uh, the hotel. Mick comes in and I was really annoyed at Mick because I thought he's my friend and they're all laughing. The more I cursed them out, the more they laughed, <laughs> you know? So mm-hmm. I just thought, then they came in and explained about, you know, but they were just taking the piss. It was just da 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 you know. mm-hmm. What about the small faces? You, I mean, you obviously had that wonderful clip that we can all see on YouTube of you doing Tin Soldier with them, which is just marvellous. But but you must have looked at them and thought, this is the, a quaintly English group. You know, their humour and their clothes and their accents and their songs about suburbia. How did you react to them? What were they like? They were kind of different. They, they, they were different and they were really English, but they were more like kind of ghetto <laughs> than, than the Rolling Stones, you know. They, yeah. Surrounded by all the aristocracy and everything. Yeah. Whereas I get the, the the small faces were like my brothers, you know what I mean? I have yeah. who sing and we were uh kind of the same age, you know, the same height, <laughs> you know, the same the way they dressed the mods, they were very similar to what we called. Ivy League in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of had like a constant affinity with them, you know, with, with, with the small faces. And we were like, yeah, we, we were the babies. So, yeah, that was great. You know, they re, they reminded me of like Watts, really. I guess they yeah, yeah. kind of like Watts, you know. <laughs> so, so do you regard yourself now? Are you an American citizen or British or... You're living in Spain, or the universe. (laughs) That's what I am. You know, I've lived in Spain longer than I've lived anywhere. I've lived in Spain for 22 years. I lived in America from up until the time I was 18. You know, I went back for that short period uh, to make a record, and during that time when I lost my daughter, going back there. And I found it very difficult to like come back to England without my daughter. So I was there longer, but you know, I grew up the majority of my uh, adult life. I grew up in the UK. 
So like, even though I'm, I'm more when I'm more British probably than I am American, and 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 so like, and in Spain, I'm just myself, you know. I, I just take myself wherever I go, and and I tend to be able to integrate. I have that ability to. I came to Spain. I didn't speak a word of Spanish. I came on my own. I feel that there's some kind of ancestral pull for me being here, you know, because the Spanish and the Portuguese, you yeah. know, hey, um, you know, I, I think some of my the, 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 my ancestors from here pick my ancestors from the west coast of Africa. And, um, you know, like I said, my family are from East Texas. So, uh, and East Texas was uh, controlled by the Spanish. My my grandmother's name is Estella. My grandfather, his name was Theodra. Theodra, and these names are all derivative of Spanish names. Right. You know... they, well, look, they, 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 we've only touched on, you know, a certain part of what's in this book because you cover your family history and obviously all the many things that you've done since, since the uh, the stuff we talked about with stones and the uh, and the small faces and so forth. I mean, how do you look? Is it possible to sum up how you look back on it? Are you, are you? Is it happy memories or bitter memories or or what? Well, if you read my book, you'll see that it's like it's 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 life, you know. My life, I've been through hard times. It's been up, it's been down, it's been tragic, you know. It's been, uh, you know, even though all those fun times in the '60s, everybody realizes the fun times. They were difficult times as well because I knew nothing about the music industry. I knew nothing about business. So uh, like myself and the small faces and probably everybody, Stones, Beatles, everybody got ripped off in the 60s. So, you know, people like they they asked me about First Cut is the Deepest. And a lot of people think Rod Stewart did it, especially a lot of Americans. They don't even, they're, they're only now finding out that my, that I am the original artists, you know, and I always say, well, you know, like Rod and uh, Cheryl Crow, Cheryl Crow, I'd say a thing on on stage, I always say, you know, like, hey, I recorded it 10 years before Rod and Cheryl Crow Mm. wasn't even born, (laughs) you know, so, so it's like, so like, that, that was difficult when Immediate folded, it was all fun and games at Immediate, you know, and then when when the immediate folded, that's when the serious, yep. you know, uh, uh, learning uh, uh, took over. You know, it meant that I had to now learn how to protect myself. Whereas before, I felt that, you know, I was trusting. You know, I trusted in Andrew and Tony and and Mick and everybody that they would look after me, you know, that I'd be protected. But then it was after immediate folded, I started learning about the music busyness. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, we, yeah. we, we, we traditionally end every day with the greatest record of all time. Can you tell us the greatest record ever made? Wow. To learn. 
Oh, you know, there's just so many, you know. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, oh. oh, God, I, I should have. Uh, I know you asked me that question. I should have th thought about that. I put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, you know, because there's just so many. Uh, What's um, your personal favorite? I love them. I love a lot, you know, because I'm into gospel music. I, you know, gospel. Uh, you know, I'm 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 here thinking. You know, as you ask me these questions, Ray Charles and Sam Cooke and and Otis Redden and everybody is flooding through my brain. Aretha, of course, is top of the list, and Mavis Staples. So, like, how do I say which one of those is? Just take a wild stab. <laughs> it's funny you should say about Mavis Staples. She was in. She was only in London the other day playing yeah, the Union no. Chapel. And you're talking about first cut is the deepest. Course written by written by Cat Stevens. Stevens. It was it was a big. It was at Glastonbury only the yeah, other week. Yeah. You know, I know so, I saw that. so it's it's amazing to think you know all those years later, the, well, those, that stuff and those people are still in the public eye. That's right. And so, like, uh, speaking of Cat Stevens, the first cut is the deepest. I would definitely say that that's one of the great, greatest songs ever written as well. It is. It's a great it record. Is. It's, it's a fantastic, fantastic record. record. It's fantastic. Your version of it is wonderful. What a blessing for it to be a part of Yeah, my, absolutely. Um, absolutely. We should plug this again, shouldn't we, David? It's a very, very good book. Yeah, Soul absolutely. Survivor. P.P. Arnold and... Uh, Survivor, now, I know you're running out of time over there. I can see your clock is running. Okay. Right. But, you know, we got the paperback is being released on the 29th. With, right. With, so, you know, and it's being released with an EP of music as well. I have Brilliant. a track called The Soul Survivor that's been uh, uh, produced by the Metrophonic team who produced... Yep. Uh, the Christmas uh, number one that I had, the first number one I've ever had, the Christmas retro. Uh, uh, it won't be Christmas without you. I don't know. If yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, I've got like box sets coming out uh, of like um, uh, box sets of things that have never been released. Productions that I did with Chaz Janko, uh, Dr. Robert of the Blow Monkey, the stuff that we did, that's all going to be on there. There's lots of songs that I've produced independently that were never released that are going to be on there. There's things, there's just so much stuff on that's going to be on Demon Records. There's an immediate uh, kind of set coming out too. They've discovered a lot of. Uh, uh, recordings, productions that have, were produced by Mick Jagger. Some of the early stuff that I did with Mick that I had forgot about Brilliant. those things. That's coming out. There's a, there's a, I did uh, the, the New Adventures album, which was my last album that uh, was produced by Steve Craddock with contributions from Paul Weller and uh, the, the, the specials and and everybody, a lot of great people. Uh, we recorded, I toured that album in 2019 and we did a live version in Liverpool. So the live in Liverpool album is uh, coming out. That's coming out probably before the box set, after the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Soul Survivor uh, 
thing is happening. So yeah. it's going to be this and the new album, which I'm recording, a brand new album that's going to be released next spring. So Fantastic. It's all happening. It is know? all happening. At that's the brilliant. age of 29, you know, my career is starting all over. It is starting all over. <laughs> brilliant. Oh, it's lovely to talk to you. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.